This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio and I'm James Whitmore. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where this show is being broadcast from, the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nations, and pay my respects to Elders past and present. The world's oceans are very warm at the moment, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago on Out of the Blue, and when the seas get too warm, we know that 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 can have a devastating impact on coral reefs. So in today's show, we'll be checking in on all things coral. I'll be right back after this. The Seamen's Union and the Waterside Workers Federation took part in the longest boycott in Australian history after Finochet took over in Chile. A democratically elected government was overthrown with the help of the United States. There are many Chileans in Australia who suffered torture, imprisonment and whose family members have been disappeared. We can't move forward as a society without healing these past crimes. The Chilean community, in partnership with the AMWU's International Solidarity Initiative, is holding a commemorative event for the 50th anniversary of Chile's coup, September 11, the day that changed us forever. Join generations of Chilean refugees, exiles and recent arrivals together with Australian unionists and activists in the solidarity movement for a night of testimonies, speakers, poetry and music on Monday, September 11 from 6pm at Solidarity Hall at the Victorian Trades Hall. This event will be held in English and all are welcome. To register, search for Chile 50 Years on eventbrite.com.au. Chile, 50 years of solidarity and struggle. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. The Great Barrier Reef has had a tough few years, especially after the first ever recorded back-to-back coral bleaching in 2016 and also in 2017. But after a couple of cooler years, coral on the Great Barrier Reef has been able to recover. The Australian Institute of Marine Science is the organisation that keeps track of coral on the Great Barrier Reef, and their latest report shows that this year the coral recovery has slowed. To explain what all this means and dig into the data, I spoke to Dr Emma Camp, a coral researcher at the University of Technology, Sydney. Hi Emma, so the latest report from the Australian Institute of Marine Science found the recovery in coral cover on the Great Barrier Reef had paused. Can you explain a little bit about what these surveys have found? Yeah, so um, AIMS is the Australian Institute of Marine Science and they have monitoring sites around the reef where they go and basically um, track coral cover to see what the state of the reef is based on that metric. So they say, see, does it look like the coral cover um, is improving, um, declining or kind of stationary? So um, they, they've seen that there has been uh, some um recovery um over the last few years but i guess in their more, uh, more recent report that it's kind of um leveling out in terms of what's been happening yeah and so coral cover is is now quite high on the reef last year it reached its highest level recorded i think in the last 30 years of the survey um at least in parts of the reef but only 2 years earlier even a study had found that the reef had lost half its coral since the 1990s these headlines they can be a bit difficult to make sense of. Is coral on the Great Barrier Reef declining or is it increasing? 
So you're indeed correct. It can be really um, confusing. Um, there's different metrics and different locations that are studied. So if we remember that the reef's the size of Italy, we know um, that since the 1980s, coral cover has been declining at the size of and scale of the reef. Um, we know that that's been occurring because of a multitude of factors. So things like changes in water quality, but also things like warming that trigger then these mass coral bleaching events. Now, 2016 and 2017 saw um, uh, our first documented back-to-back -back coral bleaching events here in Australia. We then had another one in 2020 and another in 2022. So in that 2016-2017 period, um, it was reported that about 30% of the entire Great Barrier Reef was killed from that bleaching event. Now, we obviously saw then some other bleaching events, but they were kind of more localised to certain areas of the reef. And so following that, then we saw a period of recovery, but primarily by um, a type of coral. So something called a cropper, it's more of a fast growing branchy species, um, and it kind of can um, take over when there's a space available. So because we haven't seen the um, the stresses like we did in 2016 and 2017 at the scale across the reef, then there's given this chance for some recovery to occur, which is then why we've seen coral cover being reported as high. Um, so it kind of raises um, some complexities because if we just measure coral cover, um, then it can seem like things are really going great and, and it is fantastic. We know the reef can recover if it's given a chance. Um, but it's more complex than that. And we have to look at indices such as diversity. So how many coral species actually um, are recovering? And do we have the same number of species that we did, you know, years ago? Um, and then the proportion of each of those species. And then it kind of the next layer is, is actually the functional ability of the reef. So things like how the corals calcify and make that structure or how they, um, you know, photosynthesize, how quickly they grow. All of those things um, we need to understand to be able to say, actually, is the reef doing better or worse than it was previously? Yeah, that's really interesting. So if we look at some of those other measures of, of the reef's health, what do, it, what do they tell us about? how the Great Barrier Reef is faring. So we've seen, for example, that following the bleaching events of 2016 and 2017, that the amount of larvae and the quality of larvae that were produced has declined. So that's a problem because it means that we might not get, you know, that ongoing recovery that we're hoping for. Um, we know that um, the way that corals are calcifying is being impacted by a stress that we hear a lot less about, which is ocean acidification and coastal acidification. And so that's going to continue to occur um, and so those rates of calcification, so basically how the reef can grow and build that structure is going to be declining and ongoing. Um, breakouts like crown of thorns and changes in water quality, again, we know continue to be an impact. So it, it's really, um, it's not a clear kind of, um, you know, um, sort of trend to be able to say it's doing better, it's doing worse. But I think if we look, if we step back and say, well, what was the reef like you know, 20, 30 years ago. And there's no doubt that the reef's overall health status has deteriorated from what it was. And that's because of a, a multitude of uh, human-driven factors. So as you mentioned, the reef's seen several mass coral bleachings, including a back-to-back -back one. Um, and the long-term prognosis um, for if if we don't halt climate change is, is really bad. Um, and then we've got um, a, possibly a forecast El Nino coming this summer. Uh, what's the feeling among reef researchers um, about the, the coming summer? 
we're all watching um what's happening with you know real you know intent um to just see if we do get um you know that El Nino um you know declared and um, we've obviously been watching what's been happening in the Caribbean and um, Florida for example has just had you know a catastrophic marine heat wave come through and, and decimate um, coral populations there and so you know we know what can happen if we have those prolonged hot summers um, and and warming waters we've seen it in 2016 and 2017 so look I, you know it's it's watch this space we know that there will be um, if it's not this year it will be you know a, a future year coming coming up um all of the models suggest there will be more frequent um and intense marine heat waves facing the reef the real question is when they happen and how close together they occur to to see whether recovery can occur between those events or not something i find really interesting about this is it kind of challenges my idea about what corals are because and perhaps for other people too i imagine them sort of a little bit like slow growing uh kind of stony things but this is kind of showing that they they can recover really quickly if if they're allowed to for some species yeah, definitely so some of the like massive so things like the priorities which are the ones that look you know like a basketball to you know that sort of shape and um, they're very slow growing and so if they um start to bleach and, and they're typically kind of considered more hardy more resilient um just based on their kind of life history strategies so if when if and when they bleach it can take a lot longer for them to recover and that's really kind of the mindset that you have that they take a really long time and slow to grow but your branching corals their kind of strategy is very much to grow quickly um, and take up available space and so that's what the aims report has shown that that you know a lot of the recovery has been dominated by those acropora species um, which is obviously great that we're seeing that recovery, but we do know that the acroporas tend to be more susceptible to stress as well. So again, it's it's um, where it can be kind of misleading just to look at one metric such as cover and 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 say that things are you know recovering um, because it doesn't give you that overall picture of um you know the complexity that is the great barrier reef the great barrier reef is a globally recognized as a world heritage site and over the years the united nations has considered sev- whether the reef should be listed as in danger which would recognize the damage that's been done to the reef recently the un decided once again not to list the reef as in danger and this is what dr emma had to say about that Look, I think obviously it's been, you know, the decision to not list the reef as in danger has been, this has been obviously an ongoing um, discussion for a, a while now. And I think that, you know, it's it's an opportunity for Australia to still step forward and champion um, environmental climate policy and reef protection irrespective of that decision because again i think one of the the um, historical challenges we've had is that there's been investment and protection on the reef um but that climate policy has been a mismatch which then collectively suggests that the long-term trajectory of the reef is poor um and so for me it's you know it by put by degrading or down you know down um, regulating um you know the decision and and changing that decision it would have given um you know maybe more incentive to take action but i think that irrespective of that you know australia is a leading nation and and should look to really be a leader in this space irrespective of that decision because the science 
has been there and continues to be there to say what will happen to the reef if we don't um, align policy in the climate space as well as um, at the kind of the direct management space for the reef. I'm talking to Dr Emma Camp from the University of Technology, Sydney, about coral reefs. After the break, we'll hear about Emma's remarkable research into super corals and how they could help the reef adapt to climate change. But first, this is Jess Hitchcock with Homeward Bound. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR. Tainted by a love gone bad Nothing 
Gas is a toxic fossil fuel, yet gas exploration by sonic explosion is planned for the Otway Basin. Seismic blasting kills plankton and deafens whales, disrupting their migration. This blasting is opposed by coastal communities from Geelong to Apollo Bay and Warrnambool who strive to protect the ocean ecosystems. Bring Whale Song into Nam City, Friday the 15th of September at Queen's Bridge near Flinders Street at 4.30pm and onto the State Library for 5.30pm. Rally for Whale Song Not Gas is hosted by Extinction Rebellion, a 3CR supporter. That was Homeward Bound by Jess Hitchcock, and you're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. I'm talking to Dr Emma Camp about how coral reefs are faring during the ongoing extreme ocean temperatures, and how scientists are researching ways to help corals adapt. Your research is all about looking at ways to help reefs adapt to climate change. Can you tell us a bit about what you're looking at? Yeah, so... Um, My research group really wants to look at either natural refugia, so areas where the condition, so it's naturally cooler, for example, or there's um, upworld waters that would provide a refuge on the reef and to try and see where they are and can we kind of um, prioritise conservation strategy of those systems. Um, But also the complete opposite. If we look to nature, where are the really um, hostile environments where corals have survived for, you know, you know, for as long as we've known, um, but in conditions where we wouldn't expect. So one example are inshore lagoons and inshore mangrove lagoons, where the waters are typically warm, acidic, low oxygen environments. And they're the three big stresses that we know climate change is inducing on reef systems. So if we kind of use them like a natural laboratory, how are corals surviving there? What is the cost of that survival? Um, But also, importantly, can we use those corals in our adaptive management strategies to try and and boost the resilience of the reef to those stresses that they're going to face into the future? Mm. So I assume that you're talking about um, the super corals, which I read that you, you, you discovered. Um, how how yeah. do you study those sorts of corals and how do you like use them to maybe help the reef adapt? Yeah, so basically we look for corals that are living outside of the norm, right? So we know typically corals like a very defined temperature regime, light regime, salinity, pH, and anything outside of that, we, we typically see mortality. So we start by using environmental sensors and also kind of our knowledge of where, um, you know, where we get warmer waters on the reef. And then we go and look to see if corals are there. And we, we often use satellite imagery to try and find the types of locations that where we predict these systems would be um so we go we have a look and we're like yes there's coral there um, and so we'll then start to try and look at um, a suite of kind of parameters of interest so we'll look at their genetics we'll try to see is it a coral species found on the reef or is it actually a, a, a different species we'll look at see what the algae are that associate with the coral and are there different species and we often find actually that they have very unique algae in these systems and we think that's part of their survival strategy and um, there um, and then we'll look at things like how they calcify how they photosynthesize um, what are the metabolites that they use what's their metabolism to try and understand them what's different about them how are they surviving there um, and then next kind of ask well what are our current strategies for intervention on the reef so coral propagation and outplanting is one example so that would require us taking corals from these you know environments these super corals and planting them on the reef 
So that then asks questions, if we do that, can they maintain their resilience or do they only have that resilience because they're in the environment that they're in? So we'll do transplantation studies to kind of track over multiple years how they behave and if they keep that tolerance. And I guess at that point, when we see that they are in, in increasing and maintaining their tolerance, we can then start to say, okay, well, let's include them in propagation and outplanting um, activities to try and get more of that species onto the reef because we think it will be more resilient um, to future conditions. So you're talking about restoring corals. I read um, that you're looking at sort of giving the corals the kind of the equivalent of nutrient, nutrient supplements. It's all really exciting. Yeah. How yeah. big a role can these things play in saving coral reefs, do you think? And I appreciate that this is sort of a frontier of research yeah. as well. Yeah. So, look, I mean, the bottom line is that if we don't tackle um, climate change and we don't, um, you know, transition away for reliance on fossil fuels, um, you know, the reef is going to continue to struggle. Um, we know that it can adapt um, if it's given time, but, you know, collectively as a community, we fear that it's not going to have that time um, if we don't halt the trajectory that we're on. Um, but in saying that, there is increasingly this toolbox of approaches and, you know, super corals, the nutrient supplementation, these are one or two examples within that toolbox um, that are there that I think can buy time for, for reefs. And I think it's, it's really not a question now of if restoration or intervention should occur. It's when, where, why and how we should do it. Um, and that these interventions, I would say, are buying time, right? They, they're, they're helping us to buy time where, while we get, you know, the policies in place that are needed to actually ensure that we're reducing the emissions that are going into the atmosphere and then ultimately into the ocean. It strikes me that a bit like with climate science, um, you know, it's sort of a terrible circumstance, but it's also a really exciting field to be in where you're learning kind of for the first time how these ecosystems work, how these species work. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's definitely, um, it's an exciting time to, to obviously, you know, come together as a community to really work together for a common goal. You know, I would say that coral scientists around the world are all, you know, in their own way, contributing to try to provide new knowledge and new solutions to help reefs. Um, and so, you know, that's exciting to be a part of. And I think in my particular line of research, you know, I get, um, you know, I get challenged every day by, um, you know, realizing that corals are tough and and some of them can be more resilient than we than we expect. And so that, I guess, is one of the reasons I remain, you know, optimistic, but I guess cautioned optimism. Um, but also that, you know, when we think of, say, super corals, um, you know, what are they super to and how long can they stay super to that? you know, condition. And, you know, I say, you know, most um, superheroes have got their kryptonite and we see that with, super, you know, with these super corals as well. They can be really tough to one stressor, but actually quite susceptible to another. And so, again, it's it's really trying to um, piece that all together to provide the most logical and risk adverse management um, suggestions for the reef, which then the management agencies can consider um, and have, I guess, the best portfolio of tools available to them to help conserve the reef, because that's ultimately what, you know, our goal is. As a coral reef researcher, um, often the news is not particularly great in this space. How optimistic are you and how do you remain optimistic? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think I, I guess I would say I remain optimistic for a few reasons. One is 
I guess just through my research, I've seen that corals are resilient if we give them a chance. Um, and that reefs may likely look very different in the future, but that I'm optimistic some coral and reefs will persist. Um, but that that is, you know, cautioned optimism and we, we definitely require um, collective action to ensure that. I think secondly, um, you know, the, the youth and the next generation help me remain very optimistic you know the knowledge even even my three-year-old son you know the knowledge that he has about you know that Nemo's home should be colorful and not white like I had no idea like even when I was in secondary school about the reef and so that education and environmental awareness that that is coming through and um, fills me with hope that we will um you know see upcoming generations uh, and we are seeing it already you know demanding that action and, and that protection um and i think finally and importantly we still have amazing reef here in australia um if we'd lost all of the reef then obviously this would be a very different response to that question but we know that there is amazing reef there um and and that should be a reason to motivate us uh, and to stay optimistic that we can um ensure that there is a reef into the future That was Dr. Emma Camp from the University of Technology, Sydney, talking all things coral and coral reefs. And that's all for this week. If you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous episodes, head to www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue. We'll be with you again next week. And in the meantime, stay well. When you compare an old growth forest compared to a forest which is regrowing after a disturbance like logging, they're actually quite different ecosystems. Generally, like older, wetter forests slow down the path of fire, and this is actually quite a well-known phenomenon. Historically, these big, large fires have been quite rare, but what we've seen in the last 20 years is they're becoming quite a lot more common. So we've had three in the last 20 years. This is definitely because of climate change, which is making our ecosystems a lot drier and the fire weather more intense. We need to keep radical voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. You are what you eat and you are what, what you eat. Local Food Connections interviews with food producers, backyard growers and urban farmers. Join us every Sunday morning at 10am on 3CR Community Radio 855 on your AM dial, on 3CR Digital Radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Local Food Connections, a show about the importance of local food in sustainable communities. From dust to dust, you gotta just trust that upper crust and maintain that good terrain from whence you came.